Christianity Today magazine published on their website a list of 10 objections that people have to Christianity. And number four on their list was, it's narrow-minded to think that Jesus is the only way to God. Now, I don't know if that list was supposed to be in, in the order of the most common objections to the least common or not, but I reckon particularly in a multicultural society such as we have in Australia, it'd have to be pretty high up on, on the list of objections that people have to Christianity. Probably number two, maybe number three. As our society gets more and more what we call post-Christian, as it struggles to free itself from its Christian heritage, the one so-called virtue that politically correct Australia seems to value most and hold most dear is the so-called virtue of tolerance. And true Christianity does not fit the mould of tolerance. In fact, it cannot. It never has, and it never will. Uh, tolerance is not a fruit of the Spirit. You know, some people think that tolerance, this is, this is a great thing, this is what we should all aspire to, but it's not a fruit of the Spirit. Why not? Because tolerance will accept a lie as being just as valid as the truth. And Christianity is way too honest for that. Because Jesus said of himself, I am the truth. Um, the gospel is a gospel of hope and love and truth. And for this reason, preachers of the gospel cannot tolerate the alternative lie, the lie that deceives so many people and tears away the hope from so many, that lie that says, oh, it doesn't matter what God you worship. And so to a tolerant society, Christians are indeed seen as being extremely intolerant. To believe that Jesus is the only way to God, how arrogant is that, they would say. And I'll be the first to admit, yeah, that sounds like a very exclusivist point of view. And it might sound arrogant, but that doesn't prevent it from being 100% true. Jesus himself said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So Christianity is exclusive. Uh, but in other ways, it's not. Uh, righteousness is available to everyone who believes, not just some people. Anyone who believes in Jesus can be saved. And so in that respect, Christianity isn't exclusivist. In fact, it's far from it. It's open to everyone. It doesn't matter where you were born. It doesn't matter what you used to believe. It doesn't matter what colour your skin is. It doesn't matter what nationality you are. It doesn't matter what faith your parents were. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past, whether you were a philanthropist and did lots of good stuff or whether you were a sex offender or if you've been convicted of murder or armed robbery. It doesn't matter if you've been depressed or if you're same-sex attracted or if you're divorced or if you're alcoholic or if you're addicted to drugs or even if you've tried to take your own life. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done or how you feel about yourself. It doesn't matter what guilt you are currently carrying. If you repent and turn to Jesus, you will be forgiven and you will be saved. Now, that's not exclusivist, is it? Well, to those who don't believe, it is. Jesus is the stumbling block, you see. 
He's this rock. He's right there in our path. And he says, you either believe in me and trust in me and you'll be saved. Or if you reject me, then you're lost. Here's the thing. It's only those who submit to God's righteousness who are saved. And what is God's righteousness? It's his plan of salvation through Jesus Christ and through Christ alone. Um, Later on in the service, we're going to be singing that song, In Christ Alone. And it's become the most popular hymn that people sing today. Uh, And it's just filled with so much truth. In Christ alone, my hope is found. So his plan of salvation was through Christ and through Christ alone, and that's the barrier that many will never, ever get over. Twice in today's reading, it tells us that everyone who believes will be saved. Now, that doesn't mean that we can believe whatever we like. For example, the Jews were zealous for God, but they were zealously wrong. The Torah, the book of the law, the book of the law of Moses and the books of the prophets, they all pointed to this path which was supposed to lead them to Jesus. And they religiously followed these books of the Old Testament. But when Jesus turned up, their religion couldn't handle him. And they found that instead of being led to Jesus, they found that they were enemies of Jesus. They claimed that they were the people of God, but they killed God's son. You know, I've heard it said so many times, it doesn't matter what you believe, as long as you're sincere and as long as you do good, it doesn't matter what you believe. Let me tell you, it doesn't matter how sincere I am if I'm sincerely wrong. A traveller a traveler may sincerely believe that the road to Kanamala is going to get him to Roma, but that doesn't make it true. It means he's going to end up at Kanamala. Um... And it doesn't, how much, doesn't matter how much good I manage to do, if I'm depending on my righteousness, I'm sincerely wrong. And I'm never going to attain the righteousness of God. If I depend on any other God, I'm sincerely wrong. No matter how sincere I am in that. And I'm never going to attain the righteousness of God. When it comes to belief, we have to believe in Jesus. Now, what does that entail? There are many people who are happy to believe in Jesus. Um, A Hindu will believe in Jesus and put him up there alongside all of his other gods. And most people in our society believe in Jesus. They believe that he lived. Uh, There's a lot of people who even believe that he died and that he rose again. But that's not even what it means to be a believer. And, you know, the Bible tells us that even Satan and his demons believe that Jesus died and they believe that he rose again. They even know that he died to save us. They believe it and they shudder because they know that the fact that Jesus lives again seals their fate and their doom. You see, believing about Jesus... And knowing stuff about him, that's not the barrier. Believing about what Jesus did isn't even the rock that makes men stumble. 
that thing that makes us stumble, that part of belief, is when we actually make it a thing which means that we actually submit to God's way. That's what it means to believe. You know, I wish we could make these words... We had another word for it in our, faith, in our English language. The word in the Greek is pistis, which means belief, but it also means faith. It's the same word. You understand faith. Faith is when you believe something so much that it actually changes what we do. It changes our lives. It changes what we trust in. You can believe something, but it not be an issue of faith. Well, this rock of Jesus Christ... He has to be the one in whom we trust with every part of our lives, so much so that we submit to him. We submit to God's way. Today, I'm going to share with you two barriers to belief, two barriers to submitting to God's way. And the funny thing is that they're almost exact opposites. The first barrier to belief is, is what I'm going to call easy believism. Um, there's a very popularist gospel being preached today and it's being taught by some of the fastest growing churches in the West and it's the gospel that says all you have to do is believe in Jesus and you're saved and that's it. And it isn't any wonder that, that these churches are some of the fastest growing churches because they've removed all of the offence of the gospel. There's nothing offensive about it. It makes no demands on the would-be believer. They preach, you've received the righteousness of God, but they then divorce the righteousness of God from acts of righteousness. And so they make, they, they make Jesus into a, a rock that doesn't make us stumble. Um, after this message, we're actually going to listen to a song um, by Michael Card called The Scandalon. Right? So I mentioned before, The Scandalon is this stumbling rock. And in that song, there's a, there's a line there that says, it seems today the scandal on offends no one at all. The image we present can be stepped over. Right? And we, we try to present Jesus as this inoffensive sort of a fella. This fella who doesn't make any demands on us to become his disciple. Now, the thing is, Jesus was actually pretty offensive. Otherwise, he wouldn't have been crucified. He called into question a lot of values that people had. And he made them look at themselves and say, no, I have to, that, that, that's something I have to repent of to follow Jesus. Whereas today, we've, we've made him into this, this rock that doesn't make men stumble. It's just something we can step over and just continue on how we are. And over the last couple of months, as we've studied Paul's letter to the Romans, Paul's been explaining to us about how in Christ we no longer live according to the flesh. We now live according to the Spirit. We, we submit to Jesus as Lord. And the Holy Spirit who lives in us produces works of the Spirit. But now in today's reading, we're being told that, that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. And this is one of the key verses that preachers of easy believism rely on. But they misunderstand it completely. When Paul wrote that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness, he wasn't saying that's the end of doing good stuff. 
He wasn't saying that we don't have to try to do the right thing anymore. It doesn't mean that God's righteous standards have somehow become irrelevant or a thing of the past. Right? So let's put some legs on this. It doesn't mean that, that we can just look at a hungry man and say, Oh, God bless you. I'm feeding you in my heart. Uh, but I'm keeping my money in my pocket. You know, We can't do that. And it's so that we can't just ignore the lonely because we want to go and do something else for ourselves. It doesn't mean that we can sleep around and then at the same time praise Jesus for the grace that he's given us so that we can do this without being judged. Um, and it doesn't mean that I can get drunk and swear and lie and cheat. That, that's not what it means that Christ is the end of the law. Jesus tells us what it does mean. He said, Do not think that I've come to abolish the law or the prophets. I've not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not an iota, not a dot will pass from the law until all is accomplished. Therefore, whoever relaxes one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Right? Jesus didn't come to take away the law. He came to fulfill it. That's what it means. He, he didn't come to end righteousness. He came to make it possible for us to live by the Spirit, to, to, to live a life filled with righteousness. You seeing the difference here? He didn't come to say, right, doesn't matter what you do anymore. Requirements of righteousness are gone. He didn't come for that. He came to help us to live in righteousness to do what we couldn't do, what we can't do in the flesh, we can do in the Spirit. The Holy Spirit enables us. That's what the fruit of the Spirit are. So here's a means of making us into a people who are not only righteous in status because we've been forgiven, but people who are righteous in what we do because Christ lives in us. Right? So that's one barrier to belief, merely believing about Jesus and, and what Jesus has done for us, but failing to submit to Jesus. In other words, seeing Jesus as the end of righteous living rather than understanding that he is the means of righteous living. The second barrier to belief is pretty much the opposite of that, um, and it's what we could see in the Jews of Jesus' day, and we've already touched on this a little bit. They were zealous for God. Uh, they did their absolute best to keep God's law. Now, we, we tend to think of the, the Jews and the religious leaders in particular, we sort of don't think much of them because Jesus seemed to always be at loggerheads with them. But in their trying to do righteousness, they, they were actually trying really hard to keep God's law. God had given them his law as a path to righteousness. But the problem was they seemed to think that the law was an end in itself. What they didn't understand 
was that the law was a path to Jesus. And of course, we already saw Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. And so they believed that they had it in their own power to do good enough. So that they could be good enough so that they could satisfy God and be rewarded for what they'd done. Now we can get a bit of an idea about their way of thinking from a story that Jesus told about a Pharisee who prayed. And this is what the Pharisee prayed. It said, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, Or even like this tax collector, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. So he's thanking God, I'm such a good guy, I've done all these things. They believed that they had it in their own power to do enough good so that they could satisfy God and be rewarded. But if there's one thing that we've learned in Romans so far as we've been working our way through it, I hope we've learned this, we are not saved by doing good. We're saved by faith. And here's the offence of the gospel. The offence of the gospel is you are unable to save yourself. Just as unable as I am. I'm not good enough and I can never be good enough to save myself. And that was the problem with the Jews of Jesus' day. They did not submit to God's righteousness. They tried to establish their own righteousness by just doing good stuff. And isn't this exactly what we see in society today? How many people do you know who would say to you, well, I don't need Jesus because I'm not a bad person. I don't need to be forgiven. Or we go to a funeral and we remember Uncle Fred. Uncle Fred, he was such a good bloke. I hope I hope nobody here has got an Uncle Fred, do they? Uncle Fred, he was such a good bloke. He was so nice. He'd never hurt anyone unless they deserved it. He'd never say a bad word about anybody. And Uncle Fred, even though he wasn't religious and he didn't have much time for God, he didn't have much use for praying, I'm confident that Uncle Fred will be up there looking down on us. Isn't that the way people generally think today? We establish our own position of righteousness. We think, because Uncle Fred was a good bloke, he's okay with God. God's lucky to have him, eh? Being ignorant of righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Chapter 9, verse 32 says, They did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works, they have stumbled over the stumbling stone. Right, now, we already talked about this stumbling stone a little bit with the kids. But when uh, Paul said that, he was actually quoting from Isaiah chapter 8. The prophet Isaiah foretold that the Assyrian invasion was going to sweep over the land of Israel like the waters of a great big flood and that there would only be one safe place where they could stand to escape this flood that was coming over. God himself would be the rock, the sanctuary. And and anyone who put their faith, their trust, their hope in God and in God alone, it would be like they were standing on this rock, secure, and they wouldn't be swept away by this Assyrian invasion. 
but unfortunately most people didn't entrust themselves to God and instead they put themselves their hope in, in other foreign powers and other resources instead of just trusting in the rock of God for safety. And so they were caught up in all of this. And instead of God being their refuge, they were crushed by him. Now, it's with this image in mind that Paul's telling us that Jesus is like a stumbling block. And this is the offence of the gospel. This is why, to the gospel, some people just love it. And you guys love it, don't you? Like, you just love that Jesus died for you, hey? You just love that you can trust in him and worship him and praise him and pray to him. That's good, hey? Yeah? Why do other people hate it so much? Why? Because Jesus is either the rock on whom we stand and have refuge or is the one on whom we stumble over. He's the rock of offence. The scandalon. Unless we stand on the rock of Jesus Christ, we're going to trip over him. He is either our refuge or our undoing. No other God can save you. No other creed, no amount of good works, no acts of penance. It is Christ and Christ alone who saves us. Jesus told a parable to those who trusted in themselves, that they trusted that their righteousness was going to get them through and they treated others with contempt. Now, I sort of shared half of it before. I'm going to read the whole story that he said. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed like this, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes up to heaven. He beat his breast. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus said, I tell you the truth. This man went down to his house justified rather than the other one. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, that the one who humbles himself will be exalted. To be saved, we have to submit to God's righteousness. We submit to Jesus Christ and we believe in him, the end the fulfilment of the law. If we are so filled with pride that we reject the Saviour, one day that same rock on whom we should be standing will be the rock who will crush us on the day of judgment. And we understand that Jesus is not the end of righteous living. He is the means of righteous living. And so there's two parts to this believing in Jesus. We trust in him and we live in him. Now what is Jesus to you? 
is Jesus the rock on which you stand? Or is he just someone that you know a little bit about and means nothing much to you? What about your self-righteousness? Is your self-righteousness or, or, or lack of submission something that makes Jesus a stumbling block for you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, how challenging it is that the rock of salvation is also the rock by which many of us will stumble. Lord, please forgive me of all of my pride and self-righteousness. Forgive me for when I have failed to bend my knee to you as Lord. Lord Jesus, I forsake my own righteousness. I am a sinner in need of a saviour. I am helpless and in need of your strength. Lord, thank you that you died to take away my sin. I repent in my head and in my heart of all of my sin and all of my wrongdoing. And Lord, I ask that by your Holy Spirit that you would show me what repentance looks like in my actions. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace and for your forgiveness. And I ask that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit. And Lord, be my means of righteous living. Lord, as I look back over my life, I can see so many ways in which I've fallen so short of how you would have me live. Lord, I pray that you would help me to stop doing it in my own strength and that you would be my strength, that you would be my righteousness. Not just in theory, but in practice. We pray this in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen.